That was great. Good morning. Text this morning is, as Andrea read, Mark chapter 10. But I want to start with this reflection. Um, A number of years ago, the executive editor of Wired magazine, Clive Thompson, did a piece on what was then a relatively new app for smartphones. Is my thing working, Mark? Oh, there we go. Um, This app was called Instagram. And when it kind of emerged on the scene, He, like many kind of tech people, said, I don't really see where this is going to go anywhere. Mark, this isn't working. Can you just scroll slowly through the slides, if you don't mind? Uh, Photo sharing, sharing pictures online was kind of something that lots of programs did. So Clive Thompson kind of said, I don't really see what's new here. I think Instagram's going to come and go within maybe six to eight months. But Instagram didn't go. It actually exploded in influence in its first 12 months. Within the first year, it had over 40 million users who had already posted hundreds of millions of pictures online. And since then, Instagram was famously purchased by Facebook for $1 billion a number of years ago. And it's kind of continued to grow in popularity, and it showed no signs of stopping. So what's the allure? What makes Instagram different? Well... Uh, Thompson realized that it was partly due to the fact that Instagram made photo sharing super easy. And also photos are kind of the universal language, right? It allows people to connect, even if you don't speak the same language, a beautiful picture connects people instantaneously. So Instagram and the pictures that were shared could spread all over the world very, very rapidly. But Thompson said, I I think there's something else going on. And he said, I think what makes Instagram so popular is its feature of adding different filters to existing pictures. These filters gave rise to what's been called filter culture in the app world. When Instagram launched, there was 12 different filters that you could choose from to augment your picture. And you could augment your picture in ways that were often really surprising and interesting, gave you a very different perspective on the picture that you had just taken. Um, You could choose a Lomo Fi filter. And all of a sudden, you had these popping colors, which took an ordinary scene and really made it vibrant. Or you could apply a Hefe filter, which boosts contrasts while reducing saturation. And you could uncover details of what the picture that you took that were actually naked to the human eye. And he said, because he did an experiment where he kind of used Instagram for about a month. And he said... As I used the app more and more, something curious happened to to me and to my consciousness as I went throughout the day. He said, I became increasingly observant about the world all around me. I began to look at things very, very differently. He said, walking to the subway the other day, I spotted this backhoe that was parked in a corner. It was all old and rusted out. And he said, Instagram helped me turn this dirty... um, dirty, backhoe into the claw of a rusted angry dragon and he said later that day I I filtered a picture of my living room floor and it revealed how it secretly looked like a barn a, a country barn looked like wood from a country barn and then he ended his article with these words he says I actually find it a really lovely moment when today's tech is often blamed for creating a generation of people who just stare at their screens Instagram has opened up a new window to the world. 
One of my least favorite worship songs is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Um, it's probably familiar to you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. I understand on a level of heart and sentiment what that song is trying to communicate. That when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, what matters comes into focus, what doesn't matter fades into the background. Things of heaven come into focus. The things of earth fade out and dim. It's a very popular sentiment. You'll find it in a lot of Christian literature and in a lot of the Christian subculture. But I actually think it's a really, really uh, bad idea. It's a false idea. I don't think it's a scriptural idea. And here's why. Becoming a Christian and the process of actually turning your eyes upon Jesus is something that actually intensifies and sharpens your perspective of the things of heaven and the things of earth. It sharpens and intensifies both. Becoming a Christian is like being given a new lens through which you see the world. The New Testament calls that lens the gospel. And through this gospel lens, through this Jesus filter, things that you uh, didn't notice before now strike you. They, they, they jump out at you. They pop out at you. You see the beauty in the world much more acutely. You notice beauty in God's goodness of creation um, much more readily. So the beauty of this world becomes more obvious, but so does the brokenness. The beauty that says God is breaking into this world, you begin to see it and say, I see God working here and here and here and here. But you also see the places that need God's redemption and restoration pretty sorely. And it's out of that new filter, out of saying God is at work, but God's work needs to continue, through that Jesus filter, you see the world differently and it launches you into a different kind of life where you ekbalo, remember, toss out the treasures of the gospel to this world because you have a confidence that God is at work, but you also have a heartache because you're seeing in new ways and in new dimensions that there's so much more work to be done. That God's plan of restoration needs to inbreak here and here and here and here and here. In your own heart, in your family, in your friendships, in your work communities, um, in the city, in the world. One of the major themes of the Gospels is Jesus helping people to see. Jesus taking people who are blind and giving them new vision, new perspective for life. Jesus helps people to see, often on a physical level, but on all the different levels that we see reality. The way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see other people around us, the way we see the world, our community. And the reason why Jesus is doing that is because when you see differently, you live differently. When you have a new perspective and you can see clearly and rightly and the things of heaven and the things of earth come into focus... You just, you're compelled to live differently. You can't go back to the old way of living that you were accustomed to. And today's scripture is such a powerful example of what happens when someone is given eyes to see through this gospel filter, through this Jesus filter. So I want to walk through this text because as we continue to explore what it's going to look like for us to move into this new beginning God has for us together, I, I think this text is incredibly important.
So this is a story that takes place pretty deep into Jesus's ministry. Um, it's just before the movement in uh, his um, movement into Jerusalem and the final week of his Passover. Jesus is in Jericho, but he's heading to Jerusalem. This is the final week before he's crucified. So this comes after about three years of public ministry. He's traveling with his disciples, a huge crowd. They're going down the road. And there's a blind beggar at the side of the road. And when this blind beggar, who's identified as Bartimaeus, hears the crowd and he kind of, on some level, inquires and maybe he hears other people talking about, oh, this is Jesus. This is, this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is why everything's happening. It says, he began to cry out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the text says many people rebuked him and told him to be silent. And the word there in Greek is very forceful. It's very much like, shut up shut your mouth, be silent. It means to silence someone. It's just, shut up. This is too important for you. And that's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The crowds think, oh, this is the Messiah. I know what the Messiah does. The Messiah marches into Jerusalem, is going to take down all the Romans. He's going to overthrow God's enemies. He's going to establish himself on David's throne. And this is the new king that's going to rule with power and make the world the way it was supposed to be. And so people are expecting Jesus to, really the, what they're seeing is they think this is a royal procession. This is kind of the beginning of the end for Rome. This is the beginning of the new thing for God's people. Jesus is going to overthrow Rome in a mighty military victory. They're so pumped. So this is a royal procession. We don't have time to stop for broken blind people. This is important. This is our king. And this is our king who's marching to victory. Bartimaeus, you have no social power. You have no economic power. You really have no religious power. You're a nobody. Shut your mouth. Be quiet. Don't interrupt the important thing that Jesus is doing. Don't interrupt this important moment in our history as God's people. And just a pause there to reflect. Isn't it sad that the whole story, the whole tension point of the story starts with this crowd rebuking and silencing Bartimaeus because of how they saw him. They saw him as a nobody, not worthy of any attention, and certainly not significant enough to warrant bringing this whole kind of parade to, to a standstill. They, they didn't see him clearly. In a lot of ways, he was invisible to them. And, and, and that's striking because in, earlier in Mark chapter 10, they did the same thing to the little children who were being brought to Jesus. Don't bother the teacher. This is a great rabbi. We, he doesn't have time for uh, people that don't have the political and economic and social connections. It's cute that the kids are here, but Jesus has more important things. And Jesus says, no, things look very, very different in my kingdom. I was also thinking about that, and I thought, you know, how easy, how easy, it is, how easy is it to become a church that sees people through the lens where their brokenness and their shame and their unfitness before God is how we see them, right? All these people, they just see Bartimaeus' brokenness. They can't see beyond that. They don't have the Jesus filter to say, oh, behind the brokenness and underneath is this image bearer of God who, yes, is broken, but God can do something important in and through him. But Bartimaeus is great. This is a great story. This is a guy who has a lot of what the Jews would call chutzpah. He doesn't actually care. People are telling him to shut up. He has all these people around him, tons of peer pressure. 
be quiet, shut your mouth, there's more important things happening. And it says he cried out all the more. He raises the decibels, he gets louder, and he says, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't care. He won't let the discouragement of people around him keep him from getting to Jesus. He'll just keep making noise until Jesus pays attention. And Jesus does pay attention. And the crowds are there, and Jesus brings everything to a stop. And he says, I want you to call him. And probably at this point, things get pretty quiet. This is a big deal. Huge crowds. We're all moving towards Jerusalem. Victory, victory. Rome's going to be overcome. Some nobody yelling at Jesus, kind of making a scene. You know how that is in public. People are yelling out. It's super awkward. It's just like, let's all just pretend we don't see him and move on. Jesus acknowledges him, looks at him, call him, bring him over here. Everyone stops. What kind of king is this? What's going on? So a few of the people around him are like, uh, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Go, get. don't make this any more awkward than it already is. <laughs> Just go over there. So Bartimaeus, um, it says, throws off his cloak and he sprang up and he goes to Jesus. And this is really significant. There's a little clue here. A cloak is something a beggar uses to keep warm at night, but a cloak is something that a beggar also uses. You lay out the cloak in front of you so that when you're begging, that's where people throw their change. That's where people throw their charity. So when Bartimaeus gets up and throws away his cloak, we're already seeing a desire on his heart. We're already seeing something about him. We're at least seeing that he doesn't want to be a beggar anymore. I don't, I don't need this anymore. And we're probably already seeing, because he calls Jesus the son of David, which is a messianic term, he can actually see who Jesus actually is. He's blind physically, but he actually has greater insight into who Jesus is than all the other people. He's like, I know who this is. I know what he can do for me. He is the Messiah. He can heal me. I'm not going to need this mat anymore. I'm not going to need this cloak. I'm leaving my old life behind. This is a tremendous act of faith. He is excited. He knows who Jesus is, and he knows if he can get to Jesus, something powerful and transformative can happen. So he scrambles to Jesus. And then he gets there, and, you know, he's blind, so maybe Jesus holds out his hands, he holds them, and he says, you know, here I am. And, and, and the crowds are all looking at this sort of awkward, tense scene, and no one really knows what's going to happen. Maybe Jesus is going to say, this was actually really inappropriate for you to do. Like, I have important things, so they do speak for me. You need to be quiet. Jesus doesn't say that, right? He asks him a question. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if I'm looking at what just happened, I kind of feel like that's a dumb question. It feels like a very strange question to ask someone who's blind and who's a beggar. Uh, Jesus, I can probably tell you what he wants. <laughs> He's blind. Um, that's just not a good thing he probably wants to see. He's a beggar. He's a beggar because he's blind. He has no way of creating any kind of work for himself. So just heal. Why, why does Jesus ask him the question? Why not just heal him? It's obvious what his issues are. He's blind, and because of that, there's all this um, concentric circles of chaos in his life because he can't see. But Jesus still asks him the question. And I think the reason is, is because Jesus, Jesus wants... Bartimaeus to take ownership over what's happening. And Jesus, in a sense, is asking Bartimaeus. I mean, he saw Bartimaeus probably throw his cloak away. And Bartimaeus is like, 
I want a new life. I'm ready to move into the future. I, I don't want to be a beggar anymore. I don't want to be blind anymore. I want you to open my eyes, Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And in a sense, Jesus is saying, is that, do you really want a new life, Bartimaeus? Because if I heal you, a lot of things in your life are going to have to change. You will no longer be a blind beggar. There's going to be a new kind of responsibility you're going to have to take economically. A lot, who you hang out with, your social circles, your economic future, your religious future. Blind people couldn't, you know, there's no braille in the ancient world. He's now able to study scripture in a way that he couldn't have before. What do you want me to do for you is Jesus' way of saying, if I heal you, Bartimaeus, your whole life may change. Is that what you actually want? And Bartimaeus says, yes, I want, I want to regain my sight. It's important and significant that Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Because there are some people who are living their life, metaphorically speaking, like blind beggars on the side of the road, and they actually don't want to be healed. They might not like where they are, but they're not interested in God getting a hold of them and, and placing new demands and obligations on them because God has now restored them into what it means to be an image bearer. And so Jesus asks Bartimaeus the question, but he really is asking us the question through the text, right? What do you want me to do for you? Do you want to see? Do you really want that Jesus filter that causes you to see everything very, very differently? I can give it to you. If I give it to you, though, a lot in your life will have to change. You will begin to see things that will disturb you. You will begin to... um, have perspectives that you won't just be able to ignore and walk away from. It will demand, maybe not immediately, but slowly over time, an entirely new way of moving through life. Jesus, in a sense, is saying, you're going to see your life differently. You're going to see your job differently. You're going to see your marriage differently, your dating relationships differently, your school differently, your, um, your, your, your bodies differently how you use your free time, you're gonna, so all of that is going to change if I give you new vision. And yet Bartimaeus, huge act of courage, says, I, I, want, I want to see. I want, you, I want to regain my sight. And this is so cool because if you, do, if you just reverse the text a little bit, go into reverse and back up a little bit in Mark chapter 10, This is the second time Jesus asked someone, what do you want me to do for you? The first time is he asked James and John, what do you want me to do for you? These are inner circle disciples. These aren't the crowds. These aren't blind beggars. These are inner circle people who have been with him for three years. And what do they say? They don't say, I want to see like you see. Would you heal us of spiritual blindness? I want to see so that I can live faithfully for you. They say, so I know in like little few days, maybe a week or so, you're going to come into power. And of course, you're the king. Of course, you're number one. Um, What my brother and I were wondering is when you come into your kingdom, could we be like two and three? Could I sit on your right hand and could he sit on your left? That's That's what I really want. I want, I want the power, I want prestige, I want popularity. And Jesus doesn't grant them that. But he grants 
Bartimaeus' request. Because Bartimaeus doesn't just want to see in a vacuum. He wants to see in order to follow Jesus because that's what the text says. The moment he's healed, he gets up off the side of the road. He gets on the road of discipleship metaphorically and it says he continues to follow Jesus. See, Bartimaeus wasn't even like, oh, I want, you to be healed, I want you to heal me, Jesus. And then when Jesus heals him, Bartimaeus' first thought isn't, this is fantastic, I can see. Now I can live the life I've always wanted to live. Now I get to pursue all my dreams and hopes and ambitions. Now all these, this huge obstacle of blindness that kept me from living my best life now is cleared away and I can move into the future with confidence. Thank you very much, Jesus. Fist bump. And then he goes and lives his own life. See, that's not what the text says. Bartimaeus immediately says, I've been given new eyes so that now I need to follow Jesus more faithfully. He becomes a disciple. Remember what a disciple is. It isn't someone who just has different ideas and now they go about living their own life. They want to follow Jesus. They want to become who Jesus is. Bartimaeus, in a sense, is saying, I want to become like this Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I want to learn to see like he sees. I want to be a part of helping other people who were in darkness like I was, getting out of that darkness. God has given me an amazing gift. I've been given new eyes, but they're not, it's not about me. It's not for me. I'm going to use that new gift to serve and love God and to serve and love other people. It's an amazing story. And really, if all this story was, was this really... Um, powerful encounter between this nobody and this King Jesus, it would be worthy of our, our praise and worship and, and it would definitely be um, an, an impetus to saying, Jesus, you are great, you are good, you are amazing. Um, but there's, there's actually a deeper healing that's taking place in the story. It, it, is, it can be easy for us to miss because they're kind of, it's very kind of subtle subtext underneath everything. And I think when we see it, I hope it does for you what it did for me, which is it kind of ratchets up that desire to, oh man, I want to follow this Jesus. This is an amazing miracle of healing blindness, but it's so much more. And the reason why I say that is this. Bartimaeus is not a given name. It's not like Jeff. Uh, Bartimaeus is... Aramaic for Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. In Jewish language, right, you have Yeshua, uh, Bar, Ben Yosef, Jesus, you know, son of Joseph. Bartimaeus is not known by any name. He's just called, that's the son of Timaeus. He's defined by his father. And in Bartimaeus' case, that is not a good thing. Because in Greek, the word Timaeus is a Greek name, and it means one who is highly favored or one who has high honor. So whoever this Timaeus was, whoever the father of this blind man was, he was someone who had wealth. He is someone who had power. He was someone who had prestige. He had all the things that ancient people looked at and said, ah, you must be highly favored. You must be highly honored by the gods because look at your wealth. You have tremendous worldly wealth. So, yes, you're highly honored. So there's this really tragic, heartbreaking irony in this story. Bartimaeus is the son of a father who's highly honored, 
who's highly favored and could have leveraged a lot of those resources to spare his son from being a blind beggar for his life. He had the means to do it, but he, on one level, chose not to. This son of Timaeus was abandoned by Timaeus. We don't know when, maybe when he was very, very young, and we don't know why. We don't know if Timaeus saw his son's physical handicap as an affront to his honor. We don't know if Timaeus loved his wealth more than he loved the thought of using that wealth to bring his son into a place where he wouldn't have to be destitute and poor and impoverished. We don't know all the details, but when the story picks up, there's this really, really dark undercurrent, which is there's this unknown son of Timaeus who's a blind beggar at the side of the road. And we know the kind of pain that is in his life. And it's not just because of his spiritual blindness, it's because of um, likely a life where you were abandoned and you were, in one sense, left to die. This is someone who, at the start of the story, is abandoned and alienated and isolated, and he's invisible. He's invisible to almost everybody around him. But he's not invisible to Jesus. And Jesus sees him, and Jesus calls him. And Jesus, in stopping and healing Bartimaeus, is doing something more than just healing blindness. He's restoring Bartimaeus to his true identity. It's like Jesus is saying, son of Timaeus, you're son of a father of high honor, but you're also son to a father who only saw your brokenness, and so he abandoned you. But today, you are Bartimaeus. You are son to a father of high honor. But this father, though he saw your brokenness, he did not abandon you. This father, though he saw your brokenness, he pursued you. And he's come to rescue you. And he's come to bring you into his kingdom, into this, into this parade, when everyone else is shutting you out and saying, you don't deserve to be here. You have a father of high honor who is saying, come. And I'm not just going to heal you, Bartimaeus, of your, of your blindness physically. I'm going to heal you of all the places in your life where sin and death and shame have taken root. All your abandonment issues, I have a space for you in my kingdom. And this is really about as clear a picture of the gospel as you can get. You know, in this one story, you get the gospel. We are all blind Bartimaeuses, all of us in this room. We're all carrying around these false identities defined by other things, in some cases our fathers, in some cases our families, in some cases our work, whatever it is, but they're false identities and they're rooted in sin and shame and we're living life assuming that if there is a God, he's probably just abandoned us and left us to die on the side of the road. And Jesus comes with good news and he says, no, that's not your lineage, that's not who your father is. Your father is a father of high honor and your father is one of high favor, and he loves you. Your father has tremendous wealth, but he's given it all up in order to come and seek and save you. When the rest of the world says, you're not worth it, you're not deserving, 
You haven't earned it. You have a father who says, I love you, and I see you, and I want to bring you back into my family. Two reflections that I think strike me as important coming out of this text. The first would be for all of us, which is what do we actually want Jesus to do for us as a church? What do we, what do we want Jesus to do for us? That's a big question. And again, this story really causes me to say, oh, there's a lot of things that I want, but do I have the courage to say, Jesus, it would be enough if you just taught me how to see like you see. Just give me, give me vision. Some of you have struggled with some vision loss. I am completely blind in this eye, so I have a huge blind spot in my life, literally and metaphorically. And I can see with this eye, so I come in this, I'm this walking parable. Um, and maybe some of you have perfect vision physically, but there's all kinds of blind spots that we have. And do we have the courage to say, we, we, we would like to become a church moving into the future together where we see like you see Jesus. We don't want to be like James and John. Give us power. Give us prestige. Give us, um, lift us up so that our name is great, so that people, we're famous or what we're doing, um, we're the kind of the envy of uh, other churches or different people in the community. Is that what we want? Or are we like Blind Bartimaeus who says, I just want to see. I want to see, not so that I can go and live the life that I want to live, but I want to see so that now I can follow Jesus more faithfully. And I can be a part of his rescue mission to a hurting and broken world. If that is your prayer on an individual level, I think it'd be cool for us to just and make a little note of it or, you know, uh, email yourself. Just remind yourself this week, maybe every day, to say, Jesus, will you help me to regain my sight? Would you help me to see? Would you help us to see? Pray for that for yourself and pray for that for us as a church. That's one little thing. And number two, and this might be... Um, a little bit more of a personal level. This is, this is to those of you who feel like wherever life has taken you, right now you feel like you're sitting at the side of the road. And you feel very alienated. You feel very isolated. You're holding a lot of pain in your life. Um, there's a lot of voices, maybe outside, but maybe some inside that says, Jesus doesn't have time for you. You're not worthy. You're not important enough. God's kingdom is breaking forth, but you're actually not, you don't get to be part of that momentum because you're not important enough. If the crowds are passing you by because they feel like you don't have anything to offer them, you wonder if you have anything to offer the world, and you've been living like a blind beggar at the side of the, at the, side of the road without hope and without God in the world, I want you to hear these words really carefully. Take heart. Get up, because he's calling you. Let's pray. God, we sang so many songs this morning that speak to how you can teach us to see. And God, it is a dangerous prayer to say, Jesus, heal me of my blindness in whatever way that, that happens, God. Because when we see differently, we live differently. But I want to have the courage to pray in my own life. I pray that we as a church have the courage to say, may we see the world differently. May we live differently for you. And may we not use the gift of salvation, the gift of your love, and the gift of your restoration as an excuse to go about and live the life that we want to live and pursue our own agenda. But may we increasingly see things through this gospel filter so that we live 
for you and pursue your truth and your love and your power. It's in your strong name we ask these things. Amen.
This is Mother's Day, and in lieu of a benediction, I would love to pray for the mothers um, and women in this community. What I thought would be nice is maybe if uh, we could spread ourselves 